one of the best ways to sort of sell yourself and get people to pay attention and to build influence is to just point out all the flaws. We're sharing all the stuff that we're struggling with. We're sharing uh, the problems that we're having being affiliate marketers. We're sharing the problems we're having as course creators and sellers. When you're sharing information and advice, it's great to be positive. But sometimes being honest about the good and the bad can build a stronger relationship with your audience or customer. We're constantly just sharing all of the downsides, but when you share all the downsides, I think it makes all of the upsides and the, the good things that you share just that much more impactful. You're listening to Personal Injury Mastermind, the show where elite personal injury attorneys and leading edge marketers give you exclusive access to growth strategies for your firm. Last week, I had the pleasure of chatting with Joe Fear, co-founder of Evergreen Profits and co-host of the Hustle & Flowchart podcast. Well, this week, we're gonna fill in the other half of that story. Matt Wolf is a master of blogging. From deciding on topics to driving in traffic, he's sure to have some pearls of wisdom and the proof is in the pudding when you take a look at the Hustle & Flowchart podcast. Matt and I got together to talk about how you can use your blog to expand your brand's reach, as well as the importance of audience feedback and the impact of contacting podcast apps directly. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Being at the forefront of marketing, it's all about understanding people. So let's get to know our guest. Here's Matt Wolf, co-founder of Evergreen Profits and co-host of the Hustle & Flowchart podcast. I worked at the family business. It was a, a shutter company. My parents started it when I was in high school. So throughout high school and college, I kind of, I worked at the shutter company in my summers and after school and stuff like that. And uh, when I graduated from high school, I kind of went in full-time at the shutter company. And Joe and I got acquainted through bands. We both played music. He was a guitar player in a band. I was a guitar player in a different band. And uh, we, we kind of we're in the same circuit, right? We played, we played a lot of the same shows. We played a lot of the same venues. We had a lot of the same friends. So we were sort of acquainted through music. And, um, my mom, he was actually working at a shoe store at the time. And my mom was in this shoe store buying shoes, thought he was a really good sales rep at the shoe store, had a good personality and basically, uh, tried to swipe him away from the shoe company that he was working at and brought him over to our shutter company. So we were kind of acquaintances before then, but when he started working at the company, we got to be really, really good friends. And, um, during our time at the shutter company, there was, uh, there was an employee there. His name was Larry and he was, um, he was an installer for our, our company. He actually installed the shutters, but he was very entrepreneurial minded. He, he was a contractor. So our company hired his company. He had some other little side businesses going on. He had some real estate. He did all sorts of stuff. So we were always kind of interested in what he was doing on the side. And he recommended that we go read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Both Joe and I went and read Rich Dad, Poor Dad at the same time. It sort of opened our ideas to the possibilities. It opened our ideas to, you know, what, what assets are and, um, you know, how to make our money work for us while we're not working, uh, you know, how to stop trading time for dollars, all that kind of stuff. That really opened our eyes and kind of took Joe and I down the rabbit hole. In 2007, I believe, 
Joe and I came across the book, The Four Hour Work Week. That sort of sent us even further down the rabbit hole. And it was around 2007 that we decided, all right, let's let's get into this blogging thing. Let's let's get into uh, creating WordPress blogs on topics we're knowledgeable about, and then we could sell advertising on these blogs. And that was kind of the original start. We started a, a blog in personal finance, and then a couple months later, a blog in health, and then a few months later, a blog in in a gardening blog, which totally bombed and only lasted like six months. But we started just creating all of these blogs. And then that was 2007. From 2007 to 2009, we were just growing those sort of in our side time outside of work. And they started making more and more money. And they got to a point where I think the site was making like 500 bucks a month. Nothing that anybody could live off of. But we decided that that, that the potential was there. We saw the growth. We saw the trajectory. And we're like, well, if we go full time on this, if we put all of our focus onto this thing, then we could probably really, really grow it. So Joe and I both quit our jobs in 2009, making about $500 a month that was split two ways. So right. uh, we really sort of um, dived. Went for it. Yep. And uh, that's the genesis. That's the beginning. All sorts of businesses have happened along the way, different experimental things. You know, we threw a lot of stuff at the wall to see what stuck. Some of our businesses lasted, you know, multiple years. Some of them lasted months and then faded away. Um, but yeah, there's there's all sorts of stuff that has happened over the last 14 years since we started that kind of stuff. That's amazing. There's so much there. You know, the the first thing, you know, Guy Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I hear that reference on bigger bigger pockets a lot. And I recently, mm-hmm. after reading probably a hundred plus business books, recently read that one. It's like, why yeah, did yeah. I read this one first? Because it totally changed my mindset on asset versus liability, owning a home versus rental property and all that type, kind, kinds of things. Uh, of course, Tim Ferriss's book yep. really sets the groundwork for delegation and freeing yourself up in time. One of the questions I want to ask you about blogging and affiliate marketing is because our stories are really similar. That's kind of mm-hmm. my background as well Is you know, I was a teacher though, and then jumped into affiliate marketing and got this entrepreneurial bug is that two, I think it was 2011 or 12, that penguin algorithm where it just came in and right. just wrecked everyone. Did you guys kind of experience any of that? I mean, I remember hearing about it a lot, but we weren't big on SEO at the time. We've always been more, um, more like paid media and email growth and then, you know, drive people back to our websites through email lists, things like that. So, you know, our, our websites now are pretty well SEO'd, but that was just sort of by accident and through just doing it for so long, I think, you know, like yeah. we've just been putting content out there for the last 14 years. And over time, some of it just started ranking and then ranking got easier and easier. And so, you know, we only within the last, I don't know, four, maybe five years really, really started to go, okay, our like Google is our number one traffic source. Maybe we should put some focus on this. Right. That's fantastic. You know, and Joe's experience is more on that like visual design. And and I looked up your background, you've got a lot in, you know, WordPress and, and the mm. blogging. You know, when you hear people say blog, do you think that's just like semantics? We're just more talking about content you know, how has that evolved uh, in terms of your business? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never really put too much thought into the terms. I, I almost feel like there's, it, it's sort of like a joke now when you say words like blog or vlog, cause like everybody's got one, even podcast to some degree, it's like, you want to, you know, like pretty much everybody has a podcast these days, but you know, as far as like the actual terminology of it, I do feel like blogging has sort of become the new media, right? Like when, when people go and do research on stuff, you used to go to like consumer reports or like a tech crunch or, you know, some of these larger media brands. And now when you go to get 
reviews on a product or you want to kind of deep dive on some information, you're actually, you, people tend to trust the big institutions even less now. And they're going to the, the smaller bloggers, the people that, you know, have done right by them in the past. If I, if I go and see a review for a, a new digital camera on a website and I, I buy the camera and I really like it and I go, Ooh, the review is good. And they led me to a good product. I'm probably going to go back to that site in the future to get future product reviews because they led me right in the past, you know? So I really just think it's, it's this sort of merging of the the sort of media landscape, right? Before you had sort of radio and traditional TV and billboards and, and stuff like that. And now you've got podcasts and you've got uh, websites and you've got YouTube channels and all of those medias are kind of blurring the lines now. They're all, they all kind of flow together. People that are big podcasters or big YouTubers are now going on as guests on Jimmy Fallon and, you know, the, the late night shows. And, you know, you'll see guys like Conan O'Brien started his own podcast because he has less restrictions and he can have longer form and he doesn't have to censor himself. And there's just this blurring happening of all of these various media platforms, both in the traditional and the, the sort of digital new media. Media. Right. And you got Seth Godin is doing a blog a day and he's written like 10,000, you know, really intimidating. And, and then I wanted to play with the puns here because you said <laughs> blog. So for the personal injury attorneys or the play on words, so the blogs, <laughs> yeah, A W G. Right. <laughs> uh, for those that want to put out content and thought leadership, um, it's a great outlet. And I think to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, it, when I read a blog, especially on a smaller site, you know, someone that's like, I can tell they're a true technician, right? They're, they're practicing this, they're experiencing these issues. I seem to automatically trust them, especially if they're a little self-deprecating or they're struggling with certain aspects because I know I'll probably struggle with those same things. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We, we just interviewed uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini who wrote the book Influence. Um, and that was actually one of the topics that we talked about with him is that one of the, one of the best ways to sort of sell yourself and get people to pay attention and to build influence is to just point out all the flaws. So for our example, when we're, when we're blogging and we're making podcasts, we do episodes once a week where we talk about kind of what's going on behind the scenes in our business and stuff. And usually we're sharing all the stuff that doesn't work just as much as the stuff that, that did work, right? We're sharing all the stuff that we're struggling with. We're sharing uh, the problems that we're having being affiliate marketers. We're sharing the problems we're having as course creators and sellers. We're constantly just sharing all of the downsides. But when you share all the downsides, I think it makes all of the upsides and the, the good things that you share just that much more impactful. And that was something that Robert Cialdini actually confirmed with a lot of his research is that if you can really get people to trust you through sort of pointing out the negatives, or as Ben Settle calls it, uh, making the skeletons dance, you know, if you can point out all the negatives, people are going to trust you so much more when you point out the positives or make recommendations that it just builds that stronger trust and bond with the person they're, they're listening to. Yeah, I was re-listening to Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About the Hard Things. And the first time I read that book, it, I was in a different stage in my company. I just really didn't get it. But he has that chapter in there about, hey, explaining to the whole company about the bad things and 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 how that's important and not just always sharing the, the good because your company and individuals know the bad. You know, the other thing I was going to say with GLD, I mean, I probably pronounced his name incorrectly. I apologize. Pretty but, close. <laughs> I think what those set in your mind, you know, the, the, it's all about trust, right? The, the, the you know, even the reciprocation aspect, the, the reciprocity. Mm -hmm. So when you, 
give something to someone, it's like, oh, that guy's nice. I trust him. Yep, yep. You think there's something there uh, in regards to trust as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that when when people see that you're honestly sharing the good and the bad, that's just going to build trust, right? You know, if it, how many times have you like Googled a product and then you get to a review and the product is just like, this is the most amazing product. Everybody needs to buy it. And there's no actual comparison to the competition. There's no actual uh, negatives for the product. The review is just like, this is amazing. Everybody needs this, right? That's become so common. And so when, when you're actually truthful in your reviews, like, Hey, uh, this product is a product we're using. Here's what sucks about it. But also here's why we're still using it, right? If you share both of those, that 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 trust is just going to be so much stronger, right? So I, I think um, being honest and transparent is actually a way to stand out, which is very sad. <laughs> right. The other thing on the review side, there's so many personal injury attorneys, you know, they've got 200 reviews and they're like, oh my God, I got a one-star review. And they're like, just, they're so ticked off. But as a consumer, if I go look at a site and they got 200 five-star reviews, I'm like, wait a minute, something's yeah, fishy something here. The first thing that I do is I go, I read the positives and see how the, the you know, the business owners responding. Right. And then I go read the negative, right? Even if there's only five out of a, a thousand, I want to see what their problems were. Yep. Yep. I pretty much always skim straight to like the three and four star reviews. Cause those are the people that kind of liked it, but are pointing out the downsides. Right. So yeah, same thing. It's like Amazon. It's so easy to fake the five-star reviews. So if you see a, a, a something that's got a thousand five-star reviews and only two one-star reviews, eh, there's probably an issue here. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to ask you about just briefly is one of the things you mentioned about having the two episodes where you you and Joe get together and you talk, you're you're really transparent, and then you have your guest. And one mm -hmm. of the things I've noticed where I am interviewing just a guest, it's like amazing. I have these amazing guests on this thought leadership, thought leadership. But then it's like, well, I don't have an outlet to share my opinion. So when did you guys start introducing this additional segment and kind of what impact did that have on your audience? Yeah, it's interesting. Our, our first three or four episodes of our podcast, we didn't have a guest. So uh, like when we actually started the podcast, I, I don't even think we knew for sure we were going to do guests on the podcasts for the first few. And then we started getting guests. And then what ended up happening was we wanted to sprinkle it in. So like maybe every other episode was a guest and every other episode was just us. We kind of always wanted to do that, but we had so much demand for guests after I don't know, let's call it six months into the podcast. We had so many people chasing us up to be on the podcast and we had so many friends we still wanted to interview that we got to a point where we were recording episodes that weren't coming out for four months, right? So we would we would have a guest on and then by the time their episode came out, the guest had already forgotten they'd even been on the show, right? So we, we were kind of running into that issue. So we just started going, okay, let's just do all guest interviews. And so we started doing all guest interviews for a good year. We I don't even know if we did any there was like a, a year where we didn't have any without any guests. And then we started getting our audience going, how come you never do episodes where it's just you without the guests anymore? We love hearing about the behind the scenes. We love hearing about how you're getting the guests. We love, like, we want the journey as well from you guys. So we got that feedback from people. So then we started adding them in just once a month. It was all guest interviews. And then once a month, it was just us with no guest. So we were doing that for a while. And then the feedback we were getting was people really, really liked our episodes where we didn't have guests on. People just kept on saying, you should do more of those. I'd love to hear more of those. Every time we'd pull the audience, they wanted more of that. So then it's only been maybe the last three months or so where we've, we kind of alternate. So every Tuesday, no guest, every Thursday, it is a guest. And 
I think it's helped build our own personal brands a little more. So people are actually thinking of us as thought leaders, as opposed to just interviewers. I think there is that benefit there, but I think the long-term effects are still kind of TBD. Um, But, you know, so far it's, it's, it's been a valuable outlet for, for Joe and I, we just, we love having those discussions. In fact, the funny thing is most of the time we sit down to record those and we're like, let's go for 15 or 20 minutes. We hit record and we can't keep them under 45, 50 minutes. We find out when we hit record, we have so much more to say than we thought we had to say on, on the various topics. So it's been therapeutic for us as well. Like we just really, really enjoy making them as well. So we'll see over time. I, what we've started to do is more like predictions and more stuff like directly from us. Like these are our opinions. These are our predictions. Here's what we think you should do and shouldn't do. Where in the past, we've been a little more like kind of toe the line, try to you know, appease everybody. And now we're getting much more like this product is crap. Stay away from it. Go buy this product. Here's where we see things going in the future. Here's what everybody's excited on, but we think this thing's going to die. You know, we, we talk about things like that now and actually make predictions that could very potentially be wrong predictions. But I think it also sort of positions us more as like thought leaders that people are going to want to pay attention to not just our guests, but us as well. Podcasting can be a great platform to get your opinions and advice out in the world. But even when you know you have a large audience, it can be hard to get interaction and feedback. I asked Matt to talk about how he and Joe encourage listeners to discuss and engage. Yeah, so we've we've been getting feedback in multiple ways. So the easiest way to get feedback is we have a Facebook group tied to our you know, our podcast, right? So we will shout out on the podcast from time to time. Hey, you know, if, if you want to debate us on this, or if you have any questions you'd like us to answer on the show or anything like that, just go to our group and let's, let's get a discussion going in the group. You know, that works some of the time. It's, it's kind of hard to get people from an audio platform that they're probably listening to in a car or out for a run or something like that over to a Facebook group. So we don't always get people to immediately take action on that. It is kind of interesting because we'll put out episodes and then like three months later, somebody will be like, hey, I was listening to your episode from February of, you know, uh, of 2021 and you asked us to do this. And then, you know, the comments coming online like six months later. So the other two ways is we we leverage our email list. One way we'll send out a survey. We've done We've done at least one survey a year ever since we started the podcast. And the survey will ask questions like, what's been your favorite episode? What's been your least favorite episode? What topics do you enjoy that we talk about? What are the topics you enjoy the least when we talk about them? What do you wish you heard more of from us? What do you wish we you heard less of? That kind of stuff. And we've done that every year for since we started the podcast and gotten some really, really good feedback on it. What we find interesting is that our audience has been fairly split with the feedback. So like, for example, one of our questions is like, when it comes to mindset topics, do you want to hear more or less of that? When it comes to tactical topics, do you want to hear more or less of that? And our audience was pretty like split down the middle 50, 50, less mindset, more tactics, you know, or more, more mindset, less tactics. Did I say that right? I don't know, but you know, the, the opposite. <laughs> so we we've done a lot of surveys and then we also just ask people to reply to our emails a lot. So we'll send out an email saying, Hey, we're, uh, we're interviewing Robert Cialdini this week. Uh, shoot a reply. If you have a question you'd like us to ask him, you know, we'll, we'll do stuff like that from time to time and just ask for the reply. So those are really the three ways that we get pretty, you know, pretty good, consistent feedback and, and constantly try to find ways to improve. What we have noticed, though, is like asking our audience what they want to hear more or less of is sort of a futile effort because everybody wants different things. So we might as well just talk about what we're really, really interested in. And the people that gravitate to those topics will tune in. And the ones that don't, maybe they'll skip those episodes. 
So what's comes to mind when you say all this is, you know, I'm a new podcast and I've got a hundred listeners, let's say hypothetically, we, 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 we have a decent audience on this one, but it's, if you're sending out this message, am I going to have enough people to even engage and, and kind of side note for SEO, there are some individuals that want to do CRO and I'm like, well, you're only getting 300 visitors a month. CRO is probably not a great, you know, tactic or strategy at this right. point. You need more traffic. So was there a point where, Hey, you had the podcast for three or four years. You guys are just banging out content. And then it's like, okay, we have an audience. Let's then take that and get some feedback or, or do you just pull the hundred people and maybe get some good feedback there? Yeah. I mean, we, I think we've, we've always polled no matter how, how, large or small, the audience, the, the thing about this podcast hustle and flowchart specifically is that when Joe and I launched it back in January of 2017, we actually already had a fairly significant sized audience. I had a product called learn to blog before, uh, with, with a, another partner, Bradley will that product, we had an email list of something like 120,000 subscribers nice. on it. We had like, you know, 30,000 customers of that product. And so I actually sold learn to blog to my business partner, but in when we sold that business, part of the negotiation was I actually got to keep access to the list. You know, I, I was able to mail the list and say, Hey, I'm moving on to this other company. Do you want to follow me along to it? So I was able to pull a big chunk of that audience over to the new thing that I started when Joe and I started hustle and Flowchart. So that was sort of a, a big kicking off point. And then also on the, the flip side, Joe had been doing a lot of like video work and artwork for, for a lot of big, big, big name, like entrepreneurs in the digital marketer space. So he was very well connected with a lot of those people prior to us starting the podcast. So when we started Hustle and Flowchart, I wouldn't really say we were starting from ground zero. Like, you know, we, we had connections already. We were already fairly well networked and we did start with a bit of an audience. Our first podcast, we started in 2010. Uh, when we first started our podcast, our on, it was called the Online Income Podcast in 2010. That one, we had no idea what we were doing. We weren't surveying anybody. We were just putting out content. But back in 2010, that was sort of the, if you build it, they will come kind of days with podcasting. You know, there was 100,000 nice. podcasts on iTunes. We put out one on marketing. The only other ones on marketing at the time were, I think, like Pat Flynn's John Lee Dumas's podcast wouldn't come for three years still. You know, Tim Ferriss may have started around that time. I think Tim's might have already been going by that point. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of business marketing podcasts early on. So we would put out our first episode and it would go in the new and noteworthy and we'd get 800 downloads on the first day. And we're just like, this is awesome. Podcasting is the future. Not quite as easy these days. <laughs> right. It's really saturated. So I'm I'm curious with the First of all, hustle and flowchart. So, side note: Did you come up with that name? The, the, the you know the play on words. I was yeah. curious. It feels it feels like you came up with it. It was. Um, it was a shower a shower thought one day. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. So the you know Harbinger was probably on. I I can't imagine there was too many competitors. And did yeah. you just take that and rename it an Apple? So you already had all this audience and just say, hey, we're relaunching as hustle and flowchart. Or did you just go boom? We're starting at zero and then. It started back at zero from a podcast subscriber standpoint. We didn't just, you know, swap out the RSS feed and, and bring people over because there's a fairly significant gap between ending our first podcast and this one. So it would have been probably fairly confusing to the people that started getting right. the episodes. Um, but no, we, we, we weren't starting from scratch in the sense that we had an email list, right? So we were able to mail the list for the first few episodes and say, hey, and you know, we did a, a contest, I think when we first started it, you know, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the email list. And uh, 
you know, invite three friends and you'll be entered to win the contest thing. And I think we gave away an iPad or something like that. I don't remember, but we, we launched it with a contest and we leveraged our email list when we first launched it. And we probably bought some ad traffic to it when we first launched it. And we did all that to, to kind of hit the ground running really, really fast, but we didn't leverage any of our existing podcast listenership from, from prior shows. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. The, the planning, especially doing that big launch, you might show up in some of those featured areas on the new shows and get yeah, the exactly. audience attention there. Last week, Jill gave us some great tips for getting your dream guests onto your podcast. But once you've succeeded and you've made a hit episode, you got to make sure people actually know about it. I asked Matt what the secret is to effective podcast promotion. Yeah. So when we record a podcast episode, we've got, we've got a couple uh, team members that are working behind the scenes on it. So a whole bunch of stuff happens after we record it. So now we record both the audio and the video. In the early days, we were just recording audio. Video has only come in within the last year or so. We started recording video for every episode. Um, so when an episode gets recorded, Joe and I record the audio and the video, and we put them all in a Dropbox. And then from the Dropbox, it gets edited down into like a, a little more polished of a YouTube video. It gets edited for, for iTunes. It gets turned into an Instagram story clip. It gets turned into an Instagram TV clip. It gets turned into like a seven minute mini clip that we'll put in like the, the Facebook groups and on Twitter and on LinkedIn. We write a handful of tweets. We make some images for it that go out on Instagram. We follow up with our guest. We ask our guest to share on Twitter and we actually write the tweets and send them the Instagram images and all that kind of stuff to ideally make it as easy as possible to share. So that's all the, the sort of basics that we do. We also try to SEO for our guest name. So we use uh, the WordPress SEO by Yoast plugin and we plug in our guest name as the keyword and let it optimize for the guest name. So we'll follow all of the suggestions that WordPress SEO gives us to optimize for the name. So when we do have bigger name guests on, we rank on page one for some of those names. So like Roland Frazier, for example, if you Google him, it's his websites first. And then right after his websites, it's us, right? So we're going and we're ranking for those names. So if somebody searches out, they hear about Roland Frazier and they want to learn more about him, ideally we're the first place they find that's not directly his website. Nobody else is really trying to rank for people's names. They're usually trying to rank for terms, you know, affiliate marketing or how to build a podcast or whatever. We're ranking for people's names. That's, I think, something that we do differently. That's an amazing tip. And being an SEO guy, that's what we do as well. So we do the guest name because we found that if you're trying to target a keyword, it's just too saturated with like the transcripts and things like that to rank. And I think everyone's trying to say, oh, what's the keyword of our conversation and try to jam that into the transcript. And it's just like, no, use the name. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. And, it, and it's worked. And in fact, it's been interesting because we actually have one scenario where um, we, we ranked for somebody whose name wasn't really well known, still to this day isn't really well known, but they got in the media. They had a big news story published about them. So basically what happened was she came on our podcast. We interviewed her. She had this big goal that she wanted to donate $100,000 to Virgin Unite. She wanted to give it to Richard Branson's uh, charities. So she actually sold a business. And then with $100,000 of the proceeds, she actually flew out to the UK, visited Richard Branson in person to hand him a $100,000 check for his charity. Well, Richard Branson then went and wrote a blog post 
about the fact that this girl flew all the way, you know, halfway across the country just to hand him a hundred thousand dollar check. And it was one of her big life goals was to donate this money. And Richard Branson wrote this article himself and published it to the Virgin blog. Well, this girl who was on our show, we ranked number one, very first spot, even above her own website, we were ranking for it. And when this article came out that Richard Branson wrote her Google searches just spiked something like 200,000 people searched for her all on the same day. And we were the number one result. So we had like a week long period where her episode just skyrocketed. And it was like two months after we recorded it with her because everybody wanted to find out who is this girl who just gave a hundred thousand dollars to Richard Branson. So we're SEOing for names, even if you've never heard of the name, cause you never know the sort of long tail effect in the future. Right. I like that too. And it also gives the the guest an outlet to link back to your website for those mm. backlinks. So if you just put the podcast out, you don't put a, any article up on the site and it goes out on Apple, they may link to Apple or link to right. Spotify, but it, then it can give your website some authority. So there's, there's that added bonus. And I, I bet you and Joe were like, holy smokes, why is our traffic so high? And then you <laughs> dug in, you're like, you go to the news, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, the, the SEO is one thing we put some focus on. And then we we do some media buying too. We, we actually do buy some traffic to grow the podcast as well. Uh, one of the ways that we do that is we buy traffic on the actual podcast apps. So there's like um, Overcast is an app that a lot of people listen to podcasts on. Uh, Castro is another one. Uh, Stitcher is another one. All of these apps actually have the ability to promote your podcast inside of their platform and get them featured in front of more people. So, um, and a lot of them, it's not publicized on the website. You just got to reach out to the founders of those apps and say, Hey, do you have a way to get featured in the podcast overcast and Castro? I think both have actual platforms when you could buy ads on, but there was one that we did called podcast addict and another one called podcast Republic. And we've done it with a whole bunch of these podcast apps where you could just reach out and say, Hey, is there a way to, you know, pay to be a little more featured on your app. And most of them have something that you can do to feature it on the app. And those have been some of our biggest jumps in growth has been doing that. And then also we're running YouTube ads too. So little clips from our podcast, we're just running ads to those clips to try to get interest as well. So, I mean, we're, we have a very holistic approach. We're attacking podcast growth from all angles. Super smart. I, I know the media buying when I tested it on Castbox, and I went from like, you know, maybe a few thousand downloads to like 10,000 downloads just from CastBox. I saw that big spike on our, our hosting platform. And so it definitely works. I don't know how targeted in that is for our audience, how many are actually personal injury attorneys and are interested in this material, but it did yeah, right, right. downloads a lot. <laughs> and Matt, this, this is fantastic. There, that's, there's so much gold. And I think we're going to have to slow it down and, and go step by step <laughs> in sharing what you guys do to promote the podcast. But that's incredible because, you know, so much, so often everyone puts all this time in the research and the guest and you know, this great conversation, but then they don't tell anyone, they don't really right. go out of their way to, to let as many people know as possible. And, and again, like you said earlier, it's not field of dreams. It's not, mm-hmm. Kevin Costner out there building this amazing park and everyone comes, you've got to promote the episodes. Yeah. And, and we're guilty of that ourselves. You know, we'll, we'll put out episodes and then just not even go and post on Facebook or Twitter about them. And we'll just kind of forget to share them on social media. You know, we're constantly kicking ourselves for forgetting to share on social media. We have all the automation that's happening where our team is sharing them on Instagram and in certain places, but 
you know, your personal profiles are probably always going to be the most engaged profiles you have versus, you know, groups and business pages and stuff like that. And, um, that's one of the things we constantly forget to do is just go share it to our personal profiles. Cause that's where the most people are paying attention. Right. Well, Matt, this has been fantastic. So final question, where can our audience uh, go to learn more about you and your company and your podcast? Yeah. So if you go to hustle and flowchart.tv, that is actually our podcast on YouTube. It redirects over to our YouTube channel. We're making a big, big push to, to grow the YouTube channel alongside the audio channel. Uh, we're, we're really, really polishing up the video. We brought on new video editors to make like really cool sort of documentary style videos out of our interviews. So really, really trying to ramp that up right now. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the best way anybody can support us right now is go to hustleandflowchart.tv, subscribe to that YouTube channel. And um, we're putting out four videos a week right now on that channel. It was so great to hear about the entire hustle and flowchart process, both in our chat today with Matt and last week with Joe. There's so many contributing elements to make it a successful podcast. And Matt's expert knowledge of blogging and promotion has helped it get the attention it deserves. I'd like to thank Matt from the Hustle and Flowchart podcast for sharing his story with us. And I hope you gain some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to the Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Stryer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing.